that my intro music? Thank you. Baseball is my walk-up song. Uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to get in God's word. Father, we come before you again uh, in the name of your son, Jesus, again. Uh, Father, to ask you to be good to us again, Father. We, we want to continue to worship you, Father, with all of us. Father, we thank you for giving all of your son, Jesus. And uh, as Richard said, uh, we know you've called for all of us. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us, even in this moment, to give our whole selves to you, Father, to give our minds to you, Father, to focus in on your word. And, Father, we know that uh, your word is stronger than your preachers. Uh, and your word is better than my sermon is. Even when uh, your preachers feel weak, uh, your word is strong. Even when your people feel weak, your word is strong. So now we're asking that you would speak to us in your word. Uh, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, well, um, if you don't come to Cornerstone often, my name is Tripp. I'm one of the pastors. And as Richard said, we've been going through a, a series, a really brief series, about a few things that show up in our everyday lives because we want to continue to emphasize as part of the life of our church that we do not want to isolate our Christianity to Sundays, okay? We do not want to think that following Jesus pretty much just consists of what we do together in this room. So this is a really important part of it. You know, we've talked about displaying the glory of Jesus in the everyday lives of his people. So we talked about uh, work in the everyday lives of his people. Last week we talked about music, and this week we're talking about words and the lives of his everyday people. And I want to start just by asking you a question, uh, and just think about it for a second. When you really think about the people in your life, the people that you know, the people you come across, who really knows you? Just think about that for a second. Who knows you really well? There's sometimes that my wife will get annoyed at me, and she stepped out so I can speak freely. Um, it's playing, but this is recorded. So, uh, now but sometimes my wife will get annoyed at me because she'll be about to say something, and I'll be like, "Oh, you think I da da da?" She's like, "Why'd you interrupt me?" I was like, "Well, what was you gonna say though?" That's what I was gonna say, but just don't be doing that. Because we spent so much time together that I know her really well. So when you think about you, who's the person that knows you really well, knows what you like, knows what you might say, knows how you might feel about things? I have a friend who uh, they like particular celebrities, and when they like them, they get really attached to them, almost as if they're friends, and they'll speak about them on first-name basis. They'll be like, yeah, Gwyneth told me that, that, that. I'm like, who's Gwyneth? Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress that you've never met, all right? And she knows a creepy amount of facts about these people. I was like, yeah, yeah, Gwyneth used to go here when she was five, right? I'm not saying you're a stalker, but that is stalkerish. But if you were to ask her, but do you know her? Well, she would say, well, no, I don't know her. There are limitations to how well you can know somebody from afar. But even if you think about those people who you think really know you, there are still limitations to that because they know what you do and what you say, but they don't know your heart, right? They don't always know what's going on in your heart. So one of my questions is, is there a way for us to really know what's going on in our hearts and in the hearts of other people? I mean, Scripture talks about the heart as if it's really hard to, to search out. When you think about stuff that's going on inside our just physical bodies, there are ways to look in and see, right? If you hurt yourself, you can get an x-ray to see inside your body to see if a bone is broken, which is pretty amazing when you think about it, or MRI or CAT scan, different ways we can look inside the body. And I think what this passage is going to tell us is that spiritually, there are things that we can see externally, of course, but there are also things that show up on the outside that can act as an x-ray that show us what's going on on the inside. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about today as he talks about his words. And so if you really want to see someone's heart, you should look at their words. And Jesus is going to tell us about that in this passage. And you've heard people talk about words a lot already. Words are, are really important. You know, we don't think of words as that important. We maybe think about important 
conversations we had, an important sermon we listened to. But we don't think about an ingredient to those things, which is words. You couldn't accomplish anything that you do without words. Think about your job. Could you do your job if you didn't have the use of words? I don't think so. Think about your relationships. Think about everything. Even your relationship with Jesus is built on his word. He's spoken to us in words. They all involve words. We use words to tell people what we need or how we feel about things. We use words to uh, do business. We use words to speak to God. We use words to discipline our kids. That's probably 95% of my words that I use. We use words. <laughs> Amen. We use words to, to preach sermons. Singers use words to move crowds. Activists use words to protest injustice. Politicians use words to trick us into voting for them. And then they use words to backpedal what they said when they was running. We use words a lot. Even deaf people use sign language to use words non-verbally, and we say a whole lot of them, right? Average person says 16,000 words a day. That's a lot of words. For those of you who are bad at math like me, I use the calculator. That's 112,000 words a week. That's over 5 million words every year. That's a whole lot of words. And anytime we have a lot of something, we usually don't value it as much. All right, so you got one job. So maybe it's like on a work one. I was already thinking about my work. I got one job. That's all I focus on. If you got kids, you got a couple kids. Unless you're the Mullins or the Swoops, you got like nine. But most people, you got a couple kids who we can focus on those. But the more that we have of something, the harder it is to treat it like it's actually valuable. But Jesus is going to, in his passage, treat our words like they're really valuable because they show what our hearts are like. And our words have something to do with the final judgment. So we should see them as very, very precious. And I want you to think about it like this. Instead of there are a lot of words, so they're less valuable, you should think, I use so many words that I should really think carefully about how I use them. You're going to spend more words in your lifetime than you will dollars. You're going to spend more words in your lifetime than you will minutes. You're going to spend more words than anything else that I could think of. We use a whole lot of them. And so we should want to think about how to use them wisely and carefully. And some people may think only the important stuff you say matters, the stuff you write down or the stuff you thought about. Jesus is going to say, no, no, no. Every single word you say matters. All right, so you're going to go into a week this week where you're going to say a whole lot. You're going to talk to a whole lot of people. And I want this to be able to help you think through how you use those words. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. And while you turn there, I'll just remind you of what's happening at this point in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew, Jesus has been being Jesus. He's been being holy. He's been teaching God's word. He's been healing people. And in this particular place, the Pharisees, who were the religious teachers of the day, who if you ever read the Gospels, they right away have serious issues with Jesus. And you'll see really quickly that they think about following God differently than Jesus. And so as Jesus heals this, this, uh, this man who was filled with a demon, people are like, oh, my goodness, is this the son of David? Like, is this the king we've been waiting for? And the Pharisees are like, no, no, no. He cast them out by the devil. And so Jesus rebukes them in a way that only Jesus can because it says Jesus knowing their thoughts. Man, that would be helpful as a pastor. Um, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, was able to rebuke what they were thinking, and he's going to tell them that what they were thinking is evil and rebukes them for blasphemy, and then he's going to tell them about themselves in verse 33. This is one of the ways you know Jesus was God. He was always telling people about themselves. He wasn't just asking questions like, tell me about yourself. He would walk and be like, let me tell you about you. Listen to what he says, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. God's word. Uh, As I read this passage so many times, I found it very convicting and challenging, and I think you'll find it a similar way. And um, 
I think we can see our words as that kind of x-ray that shows us what our hearts are like. So if you want to see your heart, don't just pay attention to your feelings. Don't just pay attention to your thoughts. If you want to see your heart, then watch your mouth. And when I say watch your mouth, I don't just mean the things that you, uh, I don't just mean like, hey, be careful about what you say. I mean, pay attention to the stuff you say. So if you want to see your heart, watch your mouth. And we're going to look at what Jesus says on a few headings. He gives us a few images. And the first one he talks about, number one, he's talking about good and bad trees. That's what he's talking about first, which sounds strange. He's going to go into a good and bad tree. And I'll say this real quickly. When I give points, when we give points when we preach, write them down if they help you. Right? I, I put those there so we can follow, so we can have something to kind of trek along. If they don't help you, don't write them down. But me, it helps me write it down because I forget stuff. Uh, and it helps me to think about it later in the week. But don't feel like you got to write points just because I said that. Back to the sermon. Number one, good and bad trees. So even though our culture is really image obsessed, like we're really obsessed with how people look, there still seems to be this sentiment that um, what really matters is what's on the inside, who you are on the inside. Look inside of yourself to find yourself. All of your answers can be found inside. Don't worry about what you see. And it's true insofar as we say your value isn't based on what you look like. But the way that it's not true is overly focusing on the inside in a way that says, yeah, don't focus on what I do. It's more important who I am. We can't say that because the way the Bible talks about it, we can't divide who we are and what we do as if they're totally separate things. This is the way the Bible talks about it. Who you are determines what you do, right? And we understand that in every other kind of Thing, but we want to act like it's strange when it comes to human beings. But Scripture is really clear. You cannot separate them. And Jesus is going to mess up that false thinking. So he's going to start, before he gets into the words, he's going to start by showing that we can't think about who we're on the inside without thinking about who we are on the outside. And he does that with this illustration, a tree. This is one thing you'll see always about the teaching of Jesus. Jesus likes telling stories. Jesus likes giving illustrations. And it's to help us understand. Now, sometimes we think of Jesus as if he was just some high and lofty teacher who said things nobody ever got. But often, he taught in a way where he related things to stuff that people would understand. So he's going to do that here with the trees. I'll read again verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So you might be thinking right now, what is all these trees and fruit? I thought this was going to make it uh, easier. That's more confusing. And that's just because we're in a different culture and we don't think uh, about these things in the way that they did. But as Jesus addresses these Pharisees, wants to show them the evil of the words in their hearts, he starts big picture. Part of the reason it's confusing is because he says, make the tree good. So that's an awkward wording. It's hard to understand why it's worded that way. But what seems really clear is that what he's getting at is that if you want good fruit, you have to get it from a good tree. That's it. You can't get good fruit from a bad tree and vice versa. So it's it's weird for us to hear Jesus talk about a good tree and a bad tree because that's not how we think about trees. I know I don't. When I'm walking down the street, I was just walking my dog this morning. We walked by some trees. I didn't even notice them. I don't pay attention to trees. I'm the kind of person who I, I really like inside. I like air conditioning. You know what I'm saying? I like walls. I really like the inside. So for me, outside is just on my way inside again. That's the only time outside really happens. But there are other people who do really notice trees. And this is a good trait. It, it's, you know, celebrating the stuff that God has made. I just need to work on that area of my sanctification. But people will notice trees, and they'll notice that they're big or they're beautiful and how they change throughout different seasons, all of those kind of things. And there are ways that people are uh, appreciating, but we still don't really as much think good and bad trees. But if we think of trees not just as a thing of beauty or a thing for shade uh, or a thing that has beautiful flowers on it or something like that, but a source of food, then it becomes clear why we would think about it as good or bad. Why why Jesus would just have two categories for a tree, a good tree or a bad tree. Uh, If a good tree would actually give you good fruit, then obviously a bad tree would be the kind that would give you rotten fruit. If you're depending on a tree for a source of some of your sustenance, then of course if it's not playing its role, then it's not helpful. And we think of other things like this all the time. 
where something is good or bad based on whether or not it's actually playing its, its purpose. And Jesus is saying, a bad tree would give you rotten fruit. Now, have you ever eaten any rotten fruit? Or have, have you ever smelled rotten fruit? Have you ever been around rotten fruit? It stinks, right? It's inedible. You can't eat it. It'll make you sick. It's not good for you. You don't want rotten fruit. So obviously a tree that would be giving us rotten fruit is, is bad. There's nothing praiseworthy about it. There's nothing good about it. There's no purpose in it. It doesn't do any good. It might as well not exist. And here's what we see over and over in Scripture with this tree and fruit stuff. Is the Bible is going to talk about the things that we do, the way that we live our lives as fruit of the kind of tree we are. Right? It's the, the thing that's produced by the person that we actually are, that there's something that happens inside of us that defines who we are, what we're like, that shows up in the way that we live our lives. And Scripture talks about it as fruit. In Galatians 5, you ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the flesh, you know, envy, anger, jealousy, fits of rage, those types of things. But then the fruit of the Spirit, the kind of good fruit, the kind of fruit that God made us to bear is what? What are some of the fruits of the Spirit? Name. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, right? That's the kind of good fruit uh, that, that God wants us to bear. And Jesus sums this all up at the end of that verse where he says, for the tree is known by its fruit, or you can tell what kind of tree it is by the kind of fruit that it has, good or bad. And again, we do this all the time in other areas, something's good or bad. You go to a movie, John, for instance, John, when John goes to the movie, he doesn't really care about a good plot. He just wants to see some stuff blow up. So for John, it's like, I came to see some stuff blow up. Did some stuff blow up. It was good. <laughs> he might, you know, he fell asleep on Lincoln. Be like, why are they talking? Nothing's blowing up. <laughs> right? So based on what we expect from something, we are often going to call something good or bad. And what God expects from those that he made, right, to bear his image, is to display the fruit of being an image bearer of God. And what God expects, especially of those who he's redeemed in Jesus, is to bear this kind of good fruit. So it makes sense then why God would talk about these good trees and bad trees if we were made to bear good fruit. And when we don't bear good fruit, it shows that there's something wrong with us at the core, this thing that's gone wrong in all of us, sin. This is why when we stand up on this stage and we preach, we don't just stand up here and just give you do's and don'ts. This is why we're not just like, hey, five ways to, you know, five ways to get a new job. One, I don't know where we would find that text in the Bible. But also, you know, there are a lot of very clear things, for instance, in the sermon we just did on work where Scripture speaks clearly about work, but it's grounded in the work of Jesus. And so because Scripture talks about what's going on in us, because script, we are always going to want to focus at a, at a behavior level, the stuff we're doing, right? That's the only thing we're ever going to want to think about. So we're very naturally, if we figure out we're sinners and we disobey God, what we're going to want to then do if we're really scared is I'm going to just start trying to do some stuff. And Scripture, though it is going to put a lot of value on what we do, it's always going to go deeper to the heart level. Not just the fruit, but also the root, because bad roots cannot bear good fruit. Bad trees cannot bear good fruit. So if you're here today, and you're not really sure you're a Christian, but you come to church because you think it's a good thing to do that can maybe earn you some favor with God, you just want to add some good stuff to your list, some things that will make God like you, I just feel like I have to break the news to you that that's not what God wants and that we can't do that for what God wants from us ultimately is not to go to places and just do some tasks to check on the checklist so he'll like us. But the truth is there's a much deeper problem that has to be solved. So if our only problem is that we have some bad habits and that's as deep as it is, then of course the solution is get some new habits. If your only problem is the way you dress, of course, then the solution is to get some new clothes. I watched this reality show one time with this preacher who there was this gangster. And he said, I want to help this gangster. I want to take the Lord to him. So here's what he did. He went to this dude. 
And um, it was very funny to watch these conversations. I wish I could play a clip, but we ain't got time for that. But as he talked to him, he said, you know what? Come with me, man. I want to show you what it's like to know the Lord. And the first place he took him to, to help him understand how his life needed to be changed, he took him to a store and got him some new clothes. He said, you need to get rid of those baggy jeans to be a man of God. Taking baggy jeans off, he got him a suit, three-piece suit with three buttons real high up like this and some shiny shoes. And then he was excited to take him around and show people how he had transformed this gangster. As if the thing that was most offensive to God wasn't that he was murdering other image bearers, but that he dressed that way. Right? If our problem is just how we dress, then, then that's a good solution. But if our problem is much deeper at the root of our very souls, then a change of clothes or a change of habit is not enough. And that's why we preach the gospel of Jesus. The only thing that actually addresses the heart problem that we have, that at our core, we're rebels. At our core, we're lawbreakers. I remember a dude said it like this one time that it really struck me. He said, we're, we're lawbreakers not by nature, so much so that we don't just break God's laws or other people's laws. We break our own laws. We can't even keep to our own standards. We're like, I ain't never talking to him again. He always doing that. We can't even keep our own laws. We're lawbreakers. There's something that's going wrong inside of us. So trying to bear good fruit without a new heart, without a new soul, without new tree is impossible. Right? It's like asking a cat to bark. Ain't going to happen. Asking a car to fly. It's not going to happen. It's not what it's supposed to do. That's not what that produces. And so Jesus is going to call us to look much deeper than that in this text. Now, as we think about fruit in our lives, I wonder how often you think about looking for fruit in the lives of other people. I hope we know that this is something that Jesus actually calls us to do, is to look for fruit in the lives of other people. And we don't like that because that feels gross, right? Like, I don't want to judge people. We ain't supposed to judge. Well, Jesus actually calls us to judge one another. Is judge with righteous judgment. Even the passage where he says, don't judge, lest you be judged, he goes on to tell us the proper way to judge. Jesus has called us. So when we're talking about judging, we're not talking about the negative connotation, self-righteously looking down on somebody else. We're talking about people who are walking together, looking at each other's lives and being able to make assessments. And Jesus has actually called us to do this, to look for fruit in the lives of other people who we're in relationship with. Here's my encouragement. I do not think you should go to somebody and be like, you was texting the whole sermon. That's bad fruit, bro. You a bad tree. I'm not going to encourage you to do that, okay? That is not the proper application to this sermon. But where we, di- where we link arms, which is what a church is, we've linked arms together, committed to one another. We're following Jesus together. We've committed. I mean, if you, if you look at our membership covenant, one of the things we're saying is we're helping each other to follow Jesus together. So that if I'm walking with a brother and he's saying, Trip, every time I'm at your house, you yell at your wife, you got to stop. I need that in my life. I would need a brother to tell me that. So one thing that we have to stop doing is being so allergic to assessing things in other people's lives that we disobey Jesus. Where Jesus has called us to do that. Even as we think about uh, people who are, uh, who've newly professed faith in Jesus. What scripture talks about, are they really a Christian? Time will tell. Fruit will tell. Right? He's called us to look for fruit. Even as you think about us as your pastors, you want to look in our lives. You want to see good fruit. Look, One of my encouragements to us as a church is do not let men stand up here and call themselves your pastors who bear bad fruit. If dudes' lives are a mess, they should not be pastors, right? There's grace from Jesus, of course. But this is how Jesus even tells us to call out false teachers. You'll know them by their fruit. Fruit is something that God has given us to examine our own lives first and foremost, taking that plank out of our own eye, but also looking at the lives of others, who we love, who we're in relationship with. Do not go on a rebuking spree and blame me. God bless you. So Jesus has given us that foundation then for how we think about our actions and how we think about how it relates to who we are. 
Now he's going to zoom in on words a little bit, and we'll continue to see that the words you say is like a snapshot of your heart. It's a picture of what's going on in there. So number two, he talked about good trees and bad trees. Now he's going to talk about good and bad treasure. Now he's going to talk about good and bad treasure. So now Jesus is going to get in their face a little bit and say things that we don't think Jesus should say. It would be much nicer if he said it more nicely and kindly, but you'll see that what Jesus says is warranted. I'm going to read verse 34. Jesus says, you brood of vipers. Good start. How can you speak good when you are evil? It's getting better. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. So first, Jesus does a little name calling. He calls them you brood of vipers. Brood basically just means offspring. You're the children of vipers. A viper is a kind of snake. It's, it's venomous and it's a deadly kind of snake. One that you don't want to get bitten by. I'm, I'm going to read this about viper bites. And I know this is true because I found it on Wikipedia. It says <laughs> viper venoms contain an enzyme that produces symptoms such as pain, strong local swelling, and necrosis, don't know what that is, blood loss from cardiovascular damage and disruption of the blood clotting system. Death is usually caused by collapse in blood pressure. You shouldn't get bit by vipers. So just in case we were wondering if Jesus was complimenting them, no. He's purposely pointing out that these are dangerous individuals. He's basically saying, you're the offspring of vipers. And how they thought about being the offspring of children of somebody was that you were like them. Right? If your dad did something, you did the same thing. You look like your dad. He's saying, you are children of vipers. You're just like them. You might say, well, I was thinking, why would Jesus call them vipers and not some other? I can think of some more ferocious-looking animals, at least. And we don't know exactly. I mean, we do know John the Baptist calls them the same thing. We know that snakes have a special kind of symbolic picture of evil in, in the Scriptures. But I think one obvious connection is that these vipers spew something poisonous from their mouths. That there's something poisonous that comes from their mouths that's a threat and it's dangerous to those around them. That poison comes from their lips. And the Pharisees, the poison that came from their mouth was the false teaching about how to know God where you only focus on all of these acts and all of this fruit and you ignore the root altogether. So Jesus calls them brood of vipers. And then he goes on, continuing to bless them with encouraging words and says, how can you speak good when you are evil? There it is again. How could good things come from an evil tree, right? How could good fruit come from this bad tree? It doesn't work that way. So he wants to show them uh, that their fruit is really an indication of what's going on inside, that their words were evil and their hearts are evil. And then he says this phrase that I think is pretty important. I want us to focus on for a second. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which is such an interesting thing for him to say. What does that mean? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not the kind of phrase we normally use, the abundance of the heart, or overflow of the heart, or, the, or out of the fill of your heart, the mouth speaks. Have you ever noticed um, when somebody like a tape comes out of somebody saying something racist or something. Uh, you can think of many examples. And then you see them on TV the next week like, I know I said that, but that I didn't mean it. I didn't mean that. Uh, that's not really me. I was having a rough day. Uh, my dog died, you know what I'm saying? And that's not really me, so please forgive me. I don't know how that slipped out, but it's not really me. And all of us just give them a collective side eye like, all right, we don't believe you. Right, because who has a bad day and says, who, I mean, you don't just get accidentally racist because you had a bad day. Like, that's not what I do when I have a bad day. Just resort to racism. But here's the thing. While we say, no, you said that, you meant it. I mean, it came from something inside. While we say that, we go and we make the same argument for ourselves sometimes. Right, when we have a difficult day and we snap and we spaz on somebody and we say something, 
we'll often go back and say, you know what, I just didn't really mean that. I was having a bad day. It is what it is. And we'll leave it at that. And Jesus is not going to let us do that. He's not going to let us disconnect that from our heart. All words come directly from our heart. That's the only pathway for words to get out from the word to your mouth and out. We talked about this before when heart comes up in Scripture, but I want to just give a refresher. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the physical organ of the heart. I think we know that. It's also not talking about what we think of first, which is just your emotional place. Right? Like, oh, he's a head dude, not a heart dude. He thinks a lot, but he don't have emotion. That's not how Scripture uses this. The Bible even talks about thinking with our hearts. So the heart is like the, the central core of our whole being. It's where everything comes from. It's where our thoughts come from. It's where our desires come from. It's where our will comes from. It's where our emotions come from. It's like the control center, like the cockpit of our entire being. Everything comes from our hearts. You could almost think about it like a pitcher of water, okay? A pitcher of water, and you have a bunch of cups, and you can look at these cups as the different little parts of your life. And everything, if any water is going to go in those, it has to come out of this one pitcher. So that if if someone was to drop poison in this particular pitcher of water, then it doesn't matter which cup part of your life you pour it in, it's going to be poisonous and corrupt. This is why when Scripture talks about how bad our hearts are, it makes it seem so hopeless because everything comes from your heart. If somebody said, yeah, we got to get water and only from this poisonous pitcher, you wouldn't drink it. There's no chance that poisonous water is not going to come out of that. And in the same way, because we're sinners, everything that comes from our sinful hearts ends up being sinful. So that when Jesus then talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, he's saying the things that you say are just an overflow of what's in your heart. It's what's already in there spilling out. This is why we can't act like we just say stuff that has no real root in our actual souls. That's where everything comes from, including your words. So it's almost like if I'm holding that same picture, you can't see through it. You don't know what's in it. But if I trip and some spills out, well, of course, you know what's in there, which is why we can. The, our words are such a good indication of what's in our hearts, because that's where they come from is in our heart. And so Jesus says. Right? We speak out of the abundance of our heart. So someone may say, you don't know my heart, right? You can't see inside of me. When it spills, we can see it clearly. And every time we speak, the content of our hearts is spilling out. And our words always show what's in there for good or evil. One author said, you have never spoken a neutral word in your life. You've never spoken a neutral word in your life, and all of them are coming from the center of us in our hearts. And the complex thing for us as Christians is that even though we're born with these sinful hearts, we've been given new life in Jesus, right? So it's not like there's just evil in there, right? Jesus has been slowly pouring in this living water where there's more and more fruit, more and more stuff that looks like him. So that when you catch a Christian in a week, you're going to catch some good stuff coming out, you're going to catch some bad stuff coming out. And Lord willing, 10 years is more good stuff than there was 10 years ago. But that's what's complex for us and where we have to watch our hearts because every single day we're fighting to pour a little bit more of that good water in our heart. We're fighting to fill that pitcher with more of the stuff that we want to spill out. This is why it's important for us to think about this at a heart level. If we just focus on the cups, we're wasting our time. The pitcher has poison in it. Focus on the pitcher, right? So... Though we should focus on our hearts, this does not mean that we should not pay careful attention to the things that we say in the moment, okay? It's not like my heart messed up, so I might as well say it. That's not what Jesus is encouraging us to do. (laughs) He's telling us that our words aren't just random things that fly out, that they have significance. And one of the hardest ways to really think carefully about your words sometimes is with your family. Because, you know, you're around your family or maybe just whoever you live with, and you're just around them all the time. You're too comfortable. They get on your nerves and in your face all the time. It's not directed at my family, just in general. And so sometimes the hardest place to watch your words is with your family. I want you to think back on your week or your month. What kind of hurtful things have you said to your spouse this week or this month? Or what kind of hurtful things have you said to your, your roommates or your parents or your friends? 
Maybe in a moment where you were upset. Maybe when you were having a bad day. Maybe there's been some bitterness over some stuff. Well, Jesus is encouraging us to think really carefully about those words. Because those words really do matter. So when we find ourselves like that to our spouses, we should really stop and do a heart check. Right? We should, we should seek peace, resolve conflict when we say something. But don't just do the, hey, my bad. I didn't mean that. Let's move on. And then don't address it. No, we know from this text there's a heart issue that you need to work on. Your heart was actually spilling out. So we have to address what made our mouths go there, right? So here's one thing that we just have to really think through. We cannot just address the act itself or the words itself. We have to address where it comes from. Let me just make sure I'm clear, though. I'm not saying you can never say something that you don't mean, okay? That's not what I'm saying. So, for instance, I can say this, and I don't mean it. The Cavaliers are going to win the NBA Finals. It's objectively not true, all right? (laughs) However, even when we say things that we don't mean, it's still an indication of something that's going on in our heart. Right? So, if if you get in a fight with your spouse and you say something crazy... Right? You can say, no, 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 that didn't, that didn't have anything. I didn't mean that. Well, it, it could be possible that you didn't mean that but, or that you don't think that way generally, but you at least thought it at the time when you said it. Or even if you didn't mean it and you just said it at the time, then maybe you just knew it would be a hurtful thing that would hurt them, which is a heart issue that you need to deal with. Right? There is no wrong thing that you say that doesn't have a heart issue connected to it. You cannot weasel out of that and say, I didn't mean it. Well, there's still a heart issue in there that you have to deal with, right? So let's get to the treasure. This is the next image Jesus gives us in this same little point. He says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. When he says treasure, he means a chest that holds valuable things. That's what that word right there for treasure means. And he's using that image of a treasure to talk about our hearts. It's out of our hearts that we hurl out words and phrases, as he's already been saying. You can't reach into a jar of pennies and pull out $100 bills. You can only pull out what's actually in there, in this, in this treasure, right? That's how it reveals our hearts. And when he's talking about evil people, right, and, and good people, he's not talking absolute, right? So Scripture tells us there's no one good, not even one. That's in Romans 3. That's very clear, right, in the sense that we can't earn our way to God. None of us are good enough. He's talking about a kind of general standard of your life, right, somebody who's striving to obey God, that person who's repentant, striving to obey, believe in, and to follow God. Out of that person's heart, good springs forth. And somebody who doesn't care about God, still in rebellion, bad stuff springs forth. So I wonder if you think about your heart like a treasure chest. Do you think of your heart as a place to store your valuables, right? The stuff that you want to, if that's where everything comes from, then you want to take care of it, right? If your heart is where everything in your life springs forth from, you want to take care of it. So you shouldn't be surprised that you cuss somebody out at work if you hate them in your hearts all week. What did you think was going to happen when you had a conflict, right? We shouldn't be surprised when we lie to our friends about something, when we've been hiding secret sins from them for five months. Of course that's what you did in that moment. That's what you've been cultivating in your heart. So in a sense, you choose your words way before any conversation happens because you've been filling that treasure chest with either bad treasure or good treasure so that when you reach in, in any given moment, in any given conversation, whatever's in there is what you're going to pull out. Of course, we can be deceptive, and those two come from wrong hearts. But we can only pull out what's in there. Some of us are struggling to fight temptation because we think the main fight against any sin, even of our mouths, is right there in that moment. No, the main fight with any temptation happens way before the temptation occurs because everything comes from your heart. So the best way to fight the temptation you're going to face six months from now is to fill that treasure chest with good things for the next six months. Developing the kind of character that can withstand endurance. Developing the kind of mind and renewed heart that wants to encourage people rather than tear them down. The main fight for any temptation happens way before it occurs. So yes, fight in the moment. 
but also fight the week before and the month before and the year before to fill that treasure chest with good stuff. And again, that's not to say you shouldn't be careful with your words in a moment. But even that carefulness in the moment comes from cultivating a heart that actually cares about people. Sometimes we can't control our tongues because we don't care enough. It's like, nah, 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 he shouldn't have said that, and we go. But when you're cultivating a heart that actually cares about other people, that gives you pause. No matter what's coming out, it's showing our words. And if we're not intentional, we can fall into all kind of bad ways to use our words. One example is being overly sarcastic, and I'm going to try not to look at my sarcastic friends right now. And so I'm not saying sarcasm is a sin. I love sarcasm. It's amazing. But we cannot have all of our interactions with our friends and our loved ones be jokes and jazz. That just can't be the way that we interact with people. If we do that, we're always going to keep people at bay. We want to use our words more carefully for good. I fall into this sometimes with my friends when I look up and I'm like, we've been hanging for an hour. The only thing that's happened is sarcastic jabs, laughing at memes and mama jokes, right? We, we didn't ask how nobody was doing. We didn't encourage anybody. We didn't tell anybody we were in the scripture. We didn't ask about anybody's family. It's just jokes and jokes. And if we're not carefully, again, thinking about how we use our words, then we can fall into stuff like that so easily. We want when people to come among our church community We want the kind of things that they hear echoing to be encouraging things, encouragement. We want people to come among our community and say, I heard so many encouraging words. It felt like a loving community, felt like a good family. That's what we want people to see. That's what we want the fruit of our church to be. So how do we work on our hearts? Go to God's word. Ask them to address things that are going on in your heart. Ask people in your life to address things that are going on in your heart. Right? Just really work at it in God's word, with prayer, with God's people, and ask God to transform your heart. So if you want to examine your heart, though, you've got to examine what comes out of your lips, right? Jesus has zoomed in on words. He's going to give us one final incentive for why this even matters. Last point. Good and bad testimony. Good and bad testimony. When I was a little kid, my aunt used to tell me, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. She's like, somebody try to say something, just say that. I was only like five, but I always hated that. One, I just don't like corny phrases. But also, it's not even true. Now, you can keep saying that, but he clowned my shoes and I didn't like it. It did hurt. Right? Words do actually hurt people. But as Jesus gives the incentive at the end of this verse, he's not even going to zoom in, at least right here, on the way your words hurt other people. He's going to zoom in on how your words can in the future hurt you. Verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Saying we're going to have to answer for all of our words. Talked about this a little bit earlier, but every now and then somebody will get caught on camera saying something that they wouldn't have said otherwise. But they think they can say it in private because they don't think they're going to have to answer for it. And that's how we treat our words. So Jesus is reminding us we will always have to answer for it. Right? There's always cameras running as far as God's sight and sovereignty goes. And we will be held accountable for everything. And so this is what Jesus is saying on the day of judgment. If Jesus is the judge, then our words in this case, right, are we guilty or are we not guilty? Then our words will be witnesses in the case. And they'll step up to either testify in our favor or against us. Our words will either say, yes, this is a good tree. Our words testifying as good fruit. Or our words will instead condemn us, testifying as bad fruit. So here's where we say it's really weird wording, right? By your words, you will be justified. You're like, no, I'm justified by Jesus. I'm justified by grace through faith. The evidence of Jesus justifying you. Is the fruit, right? So you're justified by Jesus 
That justification is shown in the fruit of your life. So we will have to answer to Jesus for all of our words. And, you know, so this is where we as Christians, though, because we know that we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone. I'm pretty sure I'm saved. I think I'm good. We may say, why do I even care that I'm going to have to answer to Jesus for my words? I'm good. He got me. And I think that right there is a picture of a heart that still needs to work on loving Jesus more. The only motivation for obeying Jesus cannot be the fear of hell, though that's a good motivation. Scripture gives us these warning passages. Continue in the faith, right? But we should also be motivated just by our love for Jesus. Like that we want to please him, right? Like a father to a son. My son doesn't do what I say because he thinks I'm going to kick him out the house. I won't yet. But he does what I say because what I say because I'm the authority figure. I'm his father. I've shown love to him and he wants to please me. There's already this thing in my kids where they want to make their parents happy. So we don't want to use that too hard. You know, like give me my shoes or you're going to make me mad. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to do that. But there's this very natural thing when you love somebody that you want to please them, right? So we don't want to please God in a way that we earn our salvation. Obviously, God is as pleased as he'll ever be with us in terms of our status in Jesus. But in terms of our relationship at any given moment, God can be pleased. We can make God happy with the way that we live our lives. And so when we have to stand before Jesus and give an account for those words, then we'll be briefed up. When good fruit is born, there are treasures in heaven to be built up, right? God gives us incentives, right, for wanting to obey him. But we will have to answer for all of it. Sometimes we think, like, there's some kinds of communication that are really private, text messaging, DMs, comment sections anonymously with a weird picture that don't look like you. In God's eyes, there is no anonymous communication. He knows it all, and he sees it all, and he has it cataloged, and you'll have to stand before God and answer for all of it, which is scary, which is scary. Jesus is really big, and he's really sovereign, and he really knows all things, and we'll have to answer to God for it. You notice Jesus doesn't just say we'll have to give account for the really significant words. He says every careless word, every empty word, every useless word, every little word you throw out. So some of us talk too much and we maybe should talk less because we're going to have to answer to God for all of that. That's why scripture says we should be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak. Some of us would really do well to talk less, right? To really like stop and listen, right? And be more careful with the things that we say. Every careless word so that we shouldn't just be throwing them around at random. That, that's a sobering truth. But there are many ways we can use our words well. Tell people about Jesus. What better way could we use our words than to tell people about the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for sinners, who paid for our sins, who we can turn away and trust him? That's a good way to use our words. Another good way to use our words, talk to God. Right? Talk to him, air your complaints. Ask for his grace and his goodness. Those are good ways to use it. Encouraging one another. Right? Sometimes when we think about words, we, we just think about cuss words, good words, bad words. Scripture gives us a higher uh, calling with our words to only use words with one another that will give one another grace. That gives grace to the hearer that builds up. So sometimes if I don't like, or like purposely sit down and pray before I hang out with people, I'm not going to be thinking about giving people grace with the words. I'm going to be thinking about, I want to say something funny so they laugh at me. Or, you know, I want to impress them. Or I just want to talk about this or that. And I'm not thinking about ways that I can use my words for their good. You ever spend time with somebody that they're just like a hug incarnate? This is Bob Self, okay? So you should spend time with Bob Self. When you're around Bob, it's like he's just hugging you with his words and just with his presence because he's an encouraging dude. And, and th these are the kind of people you want to hang around, and these are the kind of people that we want to strive to be, where we encourage and we love and we build up with our words. And here's the thing. 
that's fueled and powered by what God has done in Christ. And he's given us his spirit and he's given us these new hearts. We're not trying to produce this from bad fruit, I mean, from bad trees. We get to do it out of a heart that's already been submitted to Jesus. And so I'll close by saying this. Our words are really, really important, but our words are not sovereign or final. God's words are sovereign and final. It was by God's words that he created the universe. God talks about Jesus as God's word, that kind of final revelation from God, right? God's words are final and decisive, and they prevail over us. So we know that even one sin is enough to condemn us, and even one sinful word is enough to condemn us. But there were three words uttered by the Lord Jesus that reign over all the words we say, and those three words are, it is finished. That when the Lord Jesus went to the cross, he paid for our sins, including our sinful speech. So that the only hope that sinners like us who still have a lot of bad stuff in here too is that the blood of Jesus will cover over our words and that God in his grace and mercy will look at the probably in comparison small good words that we said compared to the bad words and the blood of Jesus will cover those bad ones and those good ones will stand in our defense as proof of our good fruit. But that can only happen through what Jesus did. What Christ did, what Christ said, the life that Christ lived is the righteousness that we bank on when we stand before God. Those words are final. Those words prevail. Jesus died and he rose and if we put our faith in Jesus, our sins will be covered including those words. So look, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want you to know Jesus. Come talk to us about Jesus. Even if you're not sure, still just come talk to us about Jesus. I would love to help you to understand what it means to know him. And for those of us who do know him, we want to be very careful to watch our words this week. But as we do that, we want to even more than that, watch our hearts where those words come from. Because if you want to see your heart, you should watch your mouth. That's how you can see it. That's where it's shown off. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. In this book, there are many, many, many words where you've spoken to us and you've communicated with us, and we thank you for that, Father. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who spoke the final words that give us hope in you. And Father, we thank you for your spirit who produces the kind of fruit in our hearts that will testify on our behalf that we're really yours. God, help us. Father, help us to be assured of our standing in Jesus, but help us not to feel so comfortable that we assume we can live lives with bad fruit and assume we'll spend an eternity with you, Father. Help us to live these lives that show the evidence of what you've done in our hearts. Father, we pray as we sing these final words that you'd work them into our hearts. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.